Good morning. Please uh, turn with me in your Bibles. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, beginning with uh, verse 38 through 42. This is the LSB. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the preparations alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Good morning, church family. You know, as we're turning back in Matthew's gospel now to the Sermon on the Mount, we're in Matthew 6. It occurs to me, uh, actually, a couple of things. Everybody's familiar with Mary and Martha, right, and that whole issue with being distracted by many things. And some of you uh, might even be thinking, looking at this morning's sermon title, uh, you know, why worry? Uh, A better question might be, why not? right? I I mean, why would I not worry living in a world that is so full of of things that provide fodder for anxious thoughts and fears? Um, You know, think of the things that people who you're familiar with, I'll just leave it at that, um, worry about money, uh, retirement, you know, job status, um, relationships, you know, family, your kids, your grandkids, um, what, what's happening in the nation, right? Um, the future, uh, the list of things to worry about seems endless. We live in a world of worry. Frankly, it's hard to think of a problem that plagues more people than worry or anxiety. For, for some folks, worry is chronic and worry is crippling. Um, millions of Americans self-medicate because of worry. Millions of, Mer- of Americans run to uh, counselors desperate for relief and release, uh, and yet despite all of that running, um, doesn't it seem to you that we're a nation of worriers? Americans are an anxious people. Even within the church, worry is an enemy that constantly attacks God's people. Worry wants to walk alongside you throughout your day. Have you noticed that? And yet we know that, that, that when worry, uh, anxiety becomes that constant companion, uh, it, it drains us of our joy in the Lord. It, it, it exhausts our energy for um, the things of God, the things that God has called us to. 
Um, it, it can even ruin relationships. Worry even hurts our health, let alone our witness to the world that is watching God's people. So the question maybe isn't so much why, why worry, but, but how? how? How can I not worry? Or better yet, how can I stop worrying? Now, before we read the text, I want to just remind you that the time we have spent in the Sermon on the Mount thus far, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, we've, we keep being reminded that Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples and he is speaking to the nature of life in the kingdom. This isn't how to get into the kingdom. This is the life that God calls his kingdom people to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Kingdom people are those for whom Jesus came to save from their sins, amen? And then he's done everything necessary to make us right with God. Do you believe this? And here's the thing. Our salvation is not merely um, forensic. Okay, now you're justified, you're right with God, off you go. No, it's, it's, it's even more than that. Our salvation is practical. God, in the power of the Spirit, is saving us from the power of sin to dominate our lives. We're being changed from the inside out by the grace of God. And so I pray it encourages us this morning as we turn to God's word and deal with this this issue we're all so familiar with, worry and anxiety. You know, God offers real solutions. We're not stuck with human-centered, you know, popular psychologies when it comes to anxieties, the things we worry about. The king who commands his people to stop worrying, and he does. The king also enables us to do so. Amen? So so let's just seek this enablement now. Look at verse 25, the words of our Savior, Matthew 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you worrying about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Remember, in this last half of Matthew 6, I know it's been a couple, three weeks since we've been in, in this part of Matthew's gospel. The king is addressing his disciples, his, his kingdom people, if you will. Are you one of his kingdom people? All right. And, and, he, and he's warning his followers away from two um, um, great pitfalls that every Christian is meant to be aware of. One of them is worldliness and the other is worry. Remember verses 19 through 24, the, the, the worldly person is someone who is, who is chasing after uh, that which is utterly earthbound, temporal, temporary, um, as, as a primary focus in life. That's the main thing. Rather than the primary goal in life being allegiance to the king and serving in his kingdom. And, and we know what it is to chase after things as uh, a primary affection. People know what it is to chase after money and comfort and notoriety and, and position and reputation and all of those things. And how many of you know those are actually good things in, in the right balance? But, but the worldling, the worldly person has allowed those good things to become idols. And so Jesus says to his people, look, you can't um, anticipate or expect at all that your king will share his throne with competing affections. He allows no rivals. And you might be thinking, in fact, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, verse 24. And you might be thinking, well, what, what does that have to do with worry? Because when I think of the intensely worldly person, and don't look around, just stay focused up here, um, and then, I th- and then I try to imagine the most worrying person imaginable. Um, they seem really different. But, but notice that Jesus insists they're really just different sides of the same coin of idolatry. The worldly person pursues what is utterly earthbound. That's idolatry. The worrying person fears the loss of that which is utterly earthbound or never obtaining that which is utterly earthbound, which is idolatry. And so Jesus says in verse 25, for this reason, or some of your Bibles say, therefore, because of what I've just told you about idolatry, do not be worried about your life. And, and, and I want you to notice with me that it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's not... Um, you know, kind of soft advice, you know, that might be kind of nice for you if you didn't know. It's just straight up a command. Uh, do not be worried, or, or better yet, stop perpetually worrying about even one thing. And you think, well, how is this possible? Living in a world of worries, as I do. Listen, the assumption is that God's people are prone to worry. This is like a little a dog that's nipping at our heels all the time, isn't it? In your listening guide, kids, you have um, a little section that says, what things make you worried? And there's a lot of space there for the kids, but it occurs to me that there's not enough space there for the adults. 
That just hit me. I would need more space, frankly. Now listen, if Jesus commands us not to do something, that means the doing of that thing is sin, right? And that's the first thing we're meant to see here with respect to worry. To worry is to sin against God. Say, well, I don't see it that way. I've never thought of it that way. Well, you're wrong. And I am too. When I think that way, the king says... Don't worry. Now, that's not all he says, but he starts there. Despite what the world says to us, worry and anxiety are not primarily mental health issues. It's not primarily to do with your family background. Oh, I'm, I, this is how I am because, you know, daddy was that way and granddaddy was that way. And then, then it, well, it did skip a generation. But then if you go back far enough, it's not to do with that. This is not about personality. Worry and anxiety are not personality disorders. They're they're not even really quality of life issues. Those are all secondary, okay? For the Christian, the real issue is simply this. To worry is to sin against God. And so the king says to his people, in light of all that I've told you about idolatry, in light of all that I've told you about seeking the kingdom and its lasting treasures, that which is eternal and can never be taken away from you, do not be worried about your life. Are you listening? So so here's another takeaway. The things I worry about reveal my idols. So if I'm writing a list of things I worry about and my list is longer than the kids, the Lord is actually doing me a favor and helping me to see some of the areas in my life where he wants to loosen my grip on those things and those expectations. They they run the danger of becoming idols for me. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? So worry reveals that I'm seeking and trusting in competing treasures. Says who? Says Jesus. Says Jesus. In fact, the word that is translated worry, do not be worried about your life, means to have a a divided mind a mind that is so divided and so distracted that it's been completely pulled away from a kingdom mindset. It's not just that there's background scenery that's hard causing some concern. Uh, The concerns have now come to the forefront and become the main thing. They've become the worry, the anxiety. Paul uses that same Greek word in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians 4, you guys know this one, right? Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, right? If we're serious then about living under the rule of Christ, under the reign of, of, of this benevolent King Jesus, then we, then, then we must accept that, that worry is a sin, The issue isn't just that it's not God's best for us. That's true. Worry is a sin. And it's just as dangerous to my soul 
as, as worldliness is dangerous to my soul. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way in his, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He, he says, it is because you are worldly that you are worriers. You are gripped with the wrong treasures. And, and the example of Mary and Martha, uh, familiar as that is to us, um, illustrates that perfectly, doesn't it? Martha wanted to be focused on Christ. And, and le- let me ask you something. Do you, was it okay for her to prepare for Jesus to come to her home? Of course. Was it okay for her to give some forethought to what, how that all might go down? What should we eat and where should we sit and, and what are we going to, you know, all that kind of stuff. Of course, I would submit to you that if Jesus were coming to your house, you wouldn't just wing it. I mean, that doesn't even make sense, right? So the issue isn't being concerned. The issue isn't not preparing or caring. The issue is that the cares of all of that had become such a distraction that she can't enjoy the blessing of being with Jesus. Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, Jesus said to her. Your heart has become so divided that you're focused now primarily about yourself and what a raw deal it is that nobody's helping you and you're missing the best thing, which is simply time together with your Lord. Now, let me, um, you still with me? Let me, let me just clarify a couple of things before we dive deeper into these verses, and that's another way of saying that the sermon hasn't started yet, okay? <laughs> but, but listen, um, Jesus is not saying you should not be concerned about stuff, that you put, shouldn't put energy into earthly things, that you should never have worldly things on your mind. Of, of course, that's not what he's saying. Um, Martha being the example. Some of you are reading from the old King James Version, and which, which I think is wonderful, but I do want to just point something out here. In Matthew 6.25, it says, take no thought for your life. Uh, that, that is an old English colloquialism that doesn't translate into our times today. Jesus isn't literally saying you should be thoughtless about life, Okay. Of course, we give thought to things like food and clothing and jobs and raising children and and school and and all of these sorts of things that that just sustain everyday life. It's right and normal to be attentive to those things, okay? Uh, the, the, The warning is when those concerns about earthly things turn into fretting, and selfish preoccupation and, and disabling anxiety. We can't, we can't see the big picture anymore. All we can see are these little things that we're worried about. Jesus says, you know what? You're forgetting whose you are and you're forgetting the nature of the God you belong to. You're a child of the king. So when natural, normal concerns take on a a disproportionate weight, a disproportionate focus and importance, they they crowd out the eternal, the kingdom mindset, well, that's 
we know we've slipped into sinful worry. And, and what do we do when the Spirit of God graciously points out sin? Just leave and feel horrible about ourselves? This is one where you could talk back. <laughs> we just repent of it. And we have an advocate with the Father, do we not? Who forgives on the basis of Jesus' work for us at Calvary. So we own it. And, and notice now in verse 25, that, okay, this is the beginning of the message. Um, Jesus gives really good reasons why we shouldn't worry as God's people. Aren't, aren't you glad this morning that he doesn't just say, don't worry, be happy? Remember that one? Boy, that was helpful, wasn't it? I mean, that, that whole don't worry, be happy song, my goodness. You listen to that long enough, you don't care about any of the stuff you were worried about, right? You just, you just hate the song. It's horrible. <laughs> For this reason, I say to you. Now, now, he was looking back. Now he's looking ahead. Think about the... the illogic, if you will, of worry as for a child of God. Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, worry only makes sense is if your life is nothing but a material existence. If all you are is a physical thing, then, it, then it, I guess it would make sense to worry about physical things. But you're created by God with a soul that lasts forever. You're a spiritual being created to live for God and to live with God, Christian, forever. And as a believer, you will. So what sense does it make then to be paralyzed by this preoccupation that we're so prone to go into with utterly temporary things, utterly earthly things. Think of it this way. When, when um, the Lord graciously allowed us to um, build a larger building here a few years ago, um, we also acquired some things that we had never had before. Um, a, a snowblower and a, and a floor polisher. Do you know there's such a thing as a floor polisher? It's pretty cool. And um, why did we do all that stuff? Well, what, why would we be so appreciative of the Lord building a building that we wouldn't take care of it and we'd let it immediately fall into disrepair? That doesn't even make sense, right? And, and, and really, Jesus is saying, look, God has made you for himself for all eternity. Is the, the God who created you for his glory for all eternity really going to not provide the things that you need for your daily life? Really? You see the illogic of that? Look, verse 26, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Now, the birds, birds are not lazy, are they? I've got a bird outside, um, Pam and I do, outside one of our windows at our home, and it, and it still thinks it can peck through the vinyl siding. And it, ha it hasn't quite figured out that that's, that's probably not going to happen, right? 
um, but, it, but it's driving us nuts. And um, b- b- birds are not inactive. They're busy doing bird stuff, right? Gathering food and taking care of their, their babies and sitting on eggs and other bird stuff. So inactivity then, inactivity is not the, the opposite of worry. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Don't misunderstand that. The point is the birds are, are carefree in the sense that they just do what God has created them to do and they just leave the rest to God. Now, you're not a bird. You actually think about it. Birds, I don't think, think about it. They just do it. In Psalm 104, the psalmist praises God for his provision and supply of all of the things on his earth. I just, I just want to read a little bit of it to you. Verse 13, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of God's works. Verse 16, the trees of Yahweh are satisfied. And then the psalmist says the creeping things and the crawly things and the floating things and all of that, they all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. (laughs) And you, a, a man or a woman made in the image of God, made to enjoy him forever, the the crown of his good creation. Do you really think you're not worth infinitely more to God than birds? Of course, of course. For this reason, says the king, for this reason, don't don't worry. Look Look at verse 26 once more. Notice that it says, yet your heavenly father feeds those birds. You might want to circle the words heavenly father in your friend's Bible because they're going to forget this. Jesus isn't saying just that, don't worry because God is your creator the same way he's the creator of the birds. No, he doesn't. The birds don't know him as heavenly father. You do. You who belong to the kingdom he, he is yours. He, he, he's your heavenly father. And so worry only makes sense if your father is negligent. Doesn't that just make you wince to hear, hear those words said? God? Negligence toward his children? No. No. Why worry? Worry is irreverent, Jesus says. It's an offense to your father. He loves you, and he is not negligent. He is good. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, last week, and he he and his wife are, by God's grace, uh, in the process of adopting a little girl, a little little four-year-old girl, and and um, it was one of those situations where the you know the biological father's in prison and mom's um, has an addiction, and and so the, my point is that this little girl. Um, is is still in the process of learning the the security and joy of belonging to a loving father who's who's adopted her into the family and said i I want that child that child is mine and Christian, do you realize that that is you you've been adopted into god's family. At great expense. I mean, just, just think of the, 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 the enormity of what your heavenly father did to bring you into his family. Did he not 
in eternity past plan to bring you out of the abusive grasp of your natural father, Satan, and then further plan to bring you out of the the guilt and shame of your own sin? God, your father, planned for that. God created a means for you to be brought from underneath the the, the weight of, of, of his righteous wrath, his just wrath for your sin. Your your heavenly father sent his own son into this world uh, to become like you, human in in every respect, yet without sin. And and Jesus came and he lived and he he obeyed the father, all without worrying, (laughs) always looking ahead to Calvary where he would die in your place. And then didn't the father raise (laughs) your elder brother Jesus from the dead? breaking death's grasp on you. And yet your father did even more than that because he's pursued you with his love, hasn't he? He's conquered you by his spirit. He's given you eyes to see. He's given you a heart that cares. Will your heavenly father do all of that? only to fail to give you what you need to live for him each day? You see what Jesus is saying? How, how irreverent this is and how illogical this is for the child of God. Well, there's, there's two more reasons and I'll get to them quickly why we shouldn't worry. Look at verse 27. And who of you being worried can add a single cubit to his lifespan? A cubit is just a measure that's kind of from, from the elbow to the, the fingertips. And, uh, but, but the point is not what's a cubit. The point is it doesn't make a difference whether you worry or not to your circumstances. Worry is not only irreverent, worry is irrelevant. It, it, it hasn't helped a single thing that you're worried about to worry about it. Now, don't worry about that. Because Jesus says, stop worrying. It's irrelevant. It's not changing anything. Can God's people do anything good in a way that brings him glory at the same time we have a, a, a fretful, frantic um, anxiety about us? No. Salt and light, right? In a world that's rotting, in a world that's dark with worry and anxiety. Verse 28, why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, do you mind being encouraged for just a minute? Then we'll go back to the other stuff. Um, Notice that Jesus does not say you of no faith. Don't read it that way. That's not what it says. He says... You of little faith. In seasons of worry and and debilitating anxiety, faith is weak. Can anybody say amen to that? I mean, we we know what it is to experience that. 
So the issue is not, oh, I'm worried I must not be a Christian. Don't think that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I've, I've lost perspective. I'm meant to turn to the Lord by faith. And, and it's contrary to feeling much of the time. The antidote to worry is faith. I want you to notice with me that it's very possible that for some people, I pray not, but possibly some people even here, maybe worry does make sense. What do I mean by that? Look look at verse 31. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Maybe circle that phrase in your friend's Bible too because I've already forgotten the Heavenly Father stuff, right? What's, What's he talking about when he names the Gentiles? He's not talking about a race of people. He's talking about a people who are alienated from God. He's talking about those who have rejected the Lord's Christ, those who are yet rebelling against the King. Those who have not surrendered to his call to repent and believe the gospel. So please hear this. When when your father is the God of this world, Satan, you belong to a cruel, negligent father. He, he, He would much rather see you destroyed than benefited. He loves that you think your life is nothing but cause for worry. And your hope is what? Your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, friend. You run to Christ, your solid rock, and you find that what we just sang is true. He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. Will you not repent of your self-rule? Isn't the worry and anxiety a reminder of your insufficiency to rule yourself? Surrender to the king. You know, Jesus calls that repentance. Oh, it's enabled by the Spirit. Our king provides everything his people need to live for him in this life and then live with him forever in his kingdom. And what confidence our king's people have in light of who he is. Listen listen to Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Wow. Wow. So anxiety is not just a poor choice. It's a sin against God. Worry is not just something that I would like to avoid so that I can live a better life. Um, It's the fragrance of weak faith. And I belong to a king who delights to strengthen faith. Look at verse 33. Seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The word seek is, is present tense imperative. So I don't know, maybe circle that one too. I know that's a lot for one day. Continuously be seeking the king. Continuously be reminded of the priorities of his kingdom. And you say, well, that, that, that almost makes it sound like I'd be talking to God all the time. I'll just leave that one there. What is his will for me in this circumstance that I'm so worried about? What, what, what will obeying him, trusting him, seeking after him look like in this instance right now? And no, it's not an automatic thing. It's, it's a learned thing, right? James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way. He says, like standing up when the national anthem is played or stepping on the brakes when we see red lights, you know, the car in front of us. Although I have a co-pilot that... Do, do you have one of these? <laughs> Those are good too. But the thing is, is when, when that happens, you learn... Hey, till death do us part, right? <laughs> Listen, when that happens, you've learned over time, slow down. Stand up, the, the, the music's playing, Right? And so it is with the believer. We're being trained away from this tendency to worry. I meant to bounce off of that thing I'm so anxious about and by God's grace bounce my thoughts back to the solid rock who is my refuge and my strength. Verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own it isn't just that worry is irreverent. It isn't just that worry is irrelevant. Jesus says, you know, it's also irresponsible. How can you focus on what your king has given you to do today if you're borrowing trouble from tomorrow? You're borrowing worry from a day that hasn't even arrived yet. Doesn't it seem to you, as it does me, that one of our greatest challenges as God's children is simply living in the moment. I don't mean not planning or not thinking ahead, but doing that so much that we miss the now. Can anybody else relate to this? Is it just me? I know, I know it's running late, but I want to give you a quick story about a turtle. Um, I shared this with the men a year or so ago, but as you know, it's... Um, it's hard to find new material. So, um, but I remember, uh, I don't know, probably 30 years ago, I, um, on, on a day off, uh, I was working at the newspaper at the time, and I, I had, a, had a day off, and, and was, I wanted to go fishing. And, um, and Pam, um, the co-pilot, um, said, uh, hey, you want to take one of the kids? And correct answer is Yes. Just that's just a tip for you guys, and and I did. So I took Sarah, our daughter, went with me, and the whole time I'm just so focused on fishing. How many dads know that's stupid? When you're with a five-year-old, you don't you're not thinking about fishing, right? You're just there, and you're meant to be there. That's that's fatherhood. And uh, but I but I was that guy. I was just focused on catching fish, and I was focused on all the stuff I had to do at work the next day wasn't focused on my daughter at all. And, and, the, and the thing of it is, is um, 
if you were to ask Sarah about that today, um, she would say, hey, that was the day we caught a turtle and um, dad let me reel it up and we stuck it on the dock and it just started doing turtle stuff and, um, and that was just the coolest thing. We caught a turtle. And, um, but, but in that moment, the Lord sort of woke me up to this reality that I was so preoccupied with tomorrow, I just about missed today. Now, that's just a silly little story, but the thing of it is, is I'll never forget it. And I, and I wonder how many of us, for all of our planning and caring in responsible ways, have let that creep into being so consumed with the maybes of tomorrow, the possibilities of tomorrow, the, the fears of tomorrow, you're missing today. Does not Jesus say, make the most of every opportunity? That's, that's today. That's today. So worry is irreverent, irrelevant, and it's irresponsible. And um, that's, that's it. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. It pierces our hearts, Lord, in the best of ways because it's in the hands of you, Holy Spirit, you use it to bring about change. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just do that work among us as your people. Lord, we want to be a bright witness for you in this community. And, Lord, we cannot be that if we are consumed with worries and anxieties like all of our neighbors are. Lord, we belong to the King of Kings. We belong to the Savior who is building his kingdom in this world today. And Lord, his people are a glad people because of it. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bless us with this grace to seek first your kingdom and to seek first the righteousness that you're building in us, Lord, and leave those details that we worry so much about to you. Thank you, Jesus.